Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to Episode 9 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, Rachel and I actually did a Facebook Live video, and we are going to share that with you on today's podcast. Our topic today was strategies for dealing with or living with emotional abuse. Let's get started. So Rachel is going to start us off by telling us some of the strategies that she used and Rachel, by the way, she's divorced. Uh, she's currently divorced. You can maybe you can just give a little bit of a history, just very slightly. Um, you don't have to go into too many details. And then tell us what, some of the things that you did to kind of, you know, survive. <laughs> so I was married for fourteen years, um, and in most of that time being married was what I wanted. I wanted to have a family. I had dreamed of it. It was, you know, I come from an unhealthy sort of stable, unstable background. And so I'd always just dreamed of having a partner in life and, um, being a one big family unit. And so I was living in a state of denial for most of the the period of my marriage. Although I, I knew that I, it was, there was something very wrong. It was always that I came back to, I have to do better. This is coming back on me. So honestly, it was, it was like a state of denial, state of numbness. And it was, I would sort of go from, um, hope to hope, um, different ideas about ways to make things better. So I was subsisting on hope a a lot, like maybe after our son is grown, things will be better and we can do the traveling I've always dreamed of and things will be more stable and he won't be so stressed out and um, it'll be better in the future. Just always thinking if it would be better in the future. And another component was like always thinking that I would be more acceptable to him. Like I would, he would, he would love me the way I needed to be loved in the future if I could fix myself enough for, for, to deserve that so like, you know, losing weight or, um, becoming so successful in my career that he would have no choice, but to acknowledge <laughs> what a wonderful person I am. Um, <laughs> so, so I did a lot of, um, coping mechanism strategies, uh, that were revolving around that. So living a lot of life in fantasy. So even like, that's what that is, is fantasizing that, and hoping that in the future, it's going to be better. You're going to finally get what you really want. If you just put enough love in, you just have enough sex, you just do enough in order to, um, get that right. So I, some of the specific coping mechanisms I had, um, I was always looking to make myself healthier, like physically healthier. And I, I am a runner. I love to run. Um, I didn't always run for the right reasons. I didn't, I'm just now starting to learn how to love because I'm a runner, because I love running, not because I'm looking to get into a certain type of clothing or anything like that. It's sort of revolutionary to me. I've always been a runner, but I've not always, um, it's always been like, I've never been good enough at it fast enough, et cetera. It was never just for the pure joy of running. 
Um, I would the joy of running. I'm not a runner and I can't, oh. I can't like joy and running, putting those two things together. Yeah. Like my brain's going, what? <laughs> okay. Well, sorry. You no, know, there's the endorphins. <laughs> and actually that was a great stress reliever. It was, it, it fulfilled a number of functions in my life, some healthy, some unhealthy. Um, and I'm really thankful because it was also a chance to get out of the house in a way that he was he was supportive of me doing that because, um, he had his own motivations as well, I think. And so, um, I would get out of the house and I would go spend time in nature and run on trails and exercise our dogs. That was, um, a definite way that I, I survived. Um, cause things were just so, it was just hard. Um, so the other thing that I struggle with personally is, um, uh, eating. So emotional eating, And so that was always a big thing. And so I would have trouble go through cycles where I was eating in a way that I didn't, I I was eating unhealthily and I've always had an issue with sugar. And so wanting to, you know, think, Oh, if I could just overcome this, I would be the kind of person that deserves to be, you know, have the kind of healthy and happy marriage that I was longing for. Um, and so, but then I could never attain that. And there was a lot of compulsion, you know, just because of emotional pain. A lot of times you can't, it's, it's not something that you can control from outside influences like a new eating plan. It has to come from um, being healthy within yourself, you know, mm-hmm. fixing the issues that are causing that instead of addressing the symptoms, right? Um, so there is that. Um, and again, just dreaming of a better future. I, I definitely was looking for validation from work wanting to be successful at my job and, um, and I'll even get personal validation from the people at work because they were sort of my community. And um, that was, that left me definitely vulnerable for sure to people who maybe didn't also have the best of intentions either, but I was such a people pleaser and I'm definitely working on that, but it is a tough cookie to crack when you have spent your life um, living in fear that someone's going to be mad at you because your entire existence is based on that person's acceptance in the moment. So that, those are just some, a few of them. And then when I couldn't, I couldn't deny that there was pain in my marriage, if I couldn't be numb from it, like, for example, one of the, one of the painful things was that we never were able to take family pictures. We didn't have really nice wedding photos. And, um, he really didn't ever want to take, take nice family photos. And, um, that was something I longed for. And so I'd be over at a friend's house or something and see their beautiful photos of their family. And I would myself, you know, like, well, I guess I just don't deserve that kind of thing. You know, those other people, those other types of women, that's what they get. But this is my choice. You know, I, I chose to marry him and this is just, this is just my life. And so, um, I would, it was more like I was thinking it was, it was, it was my fault that I had, I had done, you know, I hadn't made a better choice or I wasn't good enough and I didn't deserve to be the kind of family that took nice family photos. Um, so living in either denial or blame for myself. And that's just my personal experience. I think that there's probably a wide variety of different ways that um, women cope in these situations in unhealthy ways, or, you know, maybe not not bad, but maybe just neutral. And and they're just trying to get by because there's this ongoing problem in their life where that they can't, they can't fix because it's not actually them. It's, it's this other issue. 
Right. Well, and they're trying to make sense of it in their heads. Yeah. So they and you can't ever. Different explanations to try yeah. to figure it out. Yep. And, yeah. and even if it really isn't rational, if it, if it brings you a little bit of comfort in that moment, you're going to cling to that. Yeah. If, if, if it's an explanation. makes sense in your mind, you know, because yep. your brains are always trying to put these pieces together. Um, yep. And I think that's what's so devastating when we come to the realization of what's actually been going on, that you'd been building these lies in your life for so long, and then you have to go back and untangle them one by one and realize the truth and bring truth and let God shed his, his light on it. Mm-hmm. So that's really an important exercise. Okay. So some people, some women are wired more like you, Rachel, where they are... Um, they just take, you know, it's either, I think some of it, it has to do with nurture, you know, your upbringing, and some of it has to do with just personality. Everybody's, yeah. but all kinds of different personalities can end up in relationships with dysfunctional people, yes. right? It doesn't right. matter how, how strong you are or how intelligent you are, or um, if you're a type A or if you're more laid back, it doesn't, those kinds of things don't uh, determine whether or not you are going to be more susceptible to getting into a relationship with someone who's got a personality disorder or who is emotionally abusive. Yeah. Um, so your personalities, Rachel and I, for those of you who are watching, we're different personalities and I handled my relationship differently and I was probably more, um, confrontative and, you know, more like, wait a minute, this isn't right. You can't do that. That's wrong. You can't treat people like that. And so, um, I was more, um, not all the time. I, 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 I had to, I did learn how to pick my battles, but I would go into battle if I felt like an issue was big enough. And so, and whenever I did that, then I always got a lot of, you know, the proverbial S H I T that would sh- hit, hit, whoop, that would shit the fan. That would hit the fan. <laughs> I don't know what I can say on Facebook. Um, that would hit the fan and it would be a bad situation, you know? So, so, um, so I was more of a fighter. Okay. I would fight for what I thought was the truth and I would fight for, I would try to reason. And I would, I I kept trying to come at it. Like if I just come at it at the right angle, maybe if I had a different tone of voice, maybe if I had a different words, maybe if I picked the right, um, the right place to say something, um, and nothing ever worked. It was the same exact response every single time. Yeah. So one of the strategies that I would recommend for people that I recommend to people that are in this kind of situation, regardless of your personality type, but especially for those of you who are more fighters. Um, and, and here's the trouble that us fighters get into too, is that we, um, because we're fighters, we get caught up in this game that they play, that these people play where they poke the bear. Okay. So they poke you and poke you and poke you to get you to get riled up. And you, and if you do, then they sit back and they say, wow, you're really, you know, 
you've really got an anger problem and you're really bitter and you're unforgiving and what's your problem? Especially if you're in, you know, Christian circles, you'll get a lot of like Bible verses thrown at you and, you know, that kind of thing. And so, and then that's really easy for us to feel really guilty then because, well, we did react poorly, right? And we didn't want to, we reacted not that's not who we are. That's not how we want to live our lives. That's not how we want to have relationships that are always reactive. So it's really important to learn how to, in the healing community, we call it gray rock, where you stop engaging with that person. And it's an important strategy. Um, When they try to poke you, you don't take the bait. Just don't take the bait. Try to keep your uh, conversations very transactional so that um, you can keep the emotion at a, at a minimum and, um, and let them have their wins because they're going to, you know, quote, win anyway. So let them have the win. Be able to walk away and say, now, and was I able to do this very well? No, I wasn't. I'll just be honest. I was not very good at this, but... Um, but you probably were better at it. I don't know, Rachel, do you, do you feel like you oh, had a chance to practice this at all or? I, no, I really, there were definite times. I was not always, you know, the laid back type of person. The problem is I would get so confused and I was so focused on being fair and also listening to him that he would take advantage of that yeah. and, um, and come in and, and he would always, he's very smart. He would always have some sort of, explanation or some sort of rationale for why things were his way. And I was very susceptible to that because I wanted to listen to him. I, I, I wanted to respect what he had to say. And so even if I knew like, maybe it's not quite right. I could be, I could make my mind fit around it. Um, but also even if I couldn't quite make it work, I just had to let it go because I was never, ever, ever going to get to the point where he would admit anything from my side. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was really tough because I so wanted to, to work things out. I so wanted to, um, you know, I wanted us both to come to rec- you know, reconciliation. And I'm not even talking about at the end, just throughout the course of our marriage, I, I always wanted to resolve these issues, but nothing ever got resolved. Mm-hmm. And as we know, that's one of the classic signs, um, of this type of situation where you, you know, you may apologize, but it's not going to do, and um, he's not going to do the same thing for his role, or, um, maybe it'll be really minimal, you know, some of the obvious things, but he won't take deeper responsibility. And also it's not going to produce any lasting change. So I would just get to the point where, um, I just, yeah, I stopped, stopped bringing things up, but every day on a daily basis. But when I did, I would really pour my heart into it, like write him a letter or something like that. And then it would just, it was the same thing. It would just get ignored or um, there would be a, a very um, convenient explanation for why things were not my way. So. Right. Well, I think one of the reasons why we keep trying to get that closure or trying to get that, um, our, trying to have a meeting of the minds with this person yeah. is yeah. because at a fundamental level, we have, we truly believe deep down inside that it's a possibility. Right. And the fact is, it's not a possibility. So to come to that place of acceptance where you finally, it took me a lot, it really wasn't until towards the end, you finally accept the fact that there will never be a meeting of the minds. 
There will never be closure to all of those hurts that took place or to all of those things that were left undone. There will never be closure. And to let that go, it's very, very difficult to let that go, but that's really important to do. Um, Another strategy for coping then is because their reality is so completely different from your reality, it's really important that your reality is validated somewhere else then. Otherwise, you start to feel like you're going insane. And so um, what I suggest to people is to have at least one person it, can it be a counselor? It can be, but you, can, you have to pay money for a counselor and you have to, um, you only have access to that person, you know, once a week or maybe once every other week or once a month in some cases. And what you really need is you need ongoing, an ongoing place where you can actually download what's going on in your relationship. And no, this is not called gossip. Okay. So for those of you who are thinking, Oh, gossip, I can't do that. No, some of the, some of the Christian, uh, rules and regs that people (laughs) hem you in with actually make it almost impossible. They're just put, they put you into this, into a corner where you can't get out. You can't get help. You can't get healing because of all these rules and regulations. Those are from the devil. I'm sorry, but they are not from, from Jesus. So Jesus wants us to be able to talk to with, have fellowship with somebody that understands that exactly. He wants us to live in truth. And if we can't live in truth with our partner, then we need to live in truth with someone else. Um, and so I, for me, I had a sister who was actually coming into my home and working with me on a daily basis. And she became my sounding board for three solid years. She listened to my reality and, and she just, she was just a really, really good listener. So if there's anyone watching this, who maybe isn't in a situation like this, but you'd like to help, this is a great way to help. Just listen and don't judge. Mm -hmm. Don't judge and don't try to fix. Just listen and acknowledge and validate the other person's reality. Because women who are living in a situation like this, they really do start to feel like they are losing their marbles because they're told they're gaslit all the time. They are lied to on a regular basis. And the lies that they're told are not always outright lies. A lot of them are just that they have information that's withheld from them. So they don't know, they don't have all the pieces and they have to try to figure it out. And then if they get it wrong, they're told that they're making assumptions and they're, you know, and they're stupid and they don't know anything. And I mean, it's just absolutely insane. The games that get played with a woman's mind. So that woman needs to have some place, a sane place to land on a regular basis where um, she can download. So that was one of my strategies that God really used to help me actually get better. And it's, it's true. Think about the grief process too. When you lose someone that you love, what do, you, what do people who are grieving do? What do they, their biggest thing that they like to do is to talk about it. Yeah. They want to talk about it yeah. and they want, they need to process it. That's mm-hmm. how you come to a place of accepting the reality of your situation. Same thing. You need to, you're actually grieving when you're trying to process the fact that this person loves you so little that they don't want to 
connect with you on a de- on an intimate basis. They don't want to understand where you're coming from. They have no empathy for your situation. They have no care for the ways that they've hurt you. They don't acknowledge or take responsibility for anything in the relationship and everything is put squarely on your shoulders. There's a lot of grief and loss involved in that and you need to grieve. And so, and it takes a long time. This is not something that happens, you know, I'm going to talk to a counselor for a few months and then I'll be better. No, it doesn't work like that. It takes years of healing. And I think I mean, I'm out of my relationship and remarried and I'm still healing, you know, and I think I will be healing the rest of my life. Probably. So anyway. I agree. um, And I just want to emphasize what you said. Sit and listen and don't judge and don't fix it. Don't try to fix it. Yeah. I mean, you know, if there's a, a direct question or just, I mean, I just can't even tell you the power of someone validating and by listening and empathizing. It, yeah. it is such, it's so like simple. balm on a, on a burn. It, it, it is such a soothing mechanism for healing. Um, and it's something that, that women like us have not experienced from, from the people that um, really should have been the ones doing it all along. Yep. We promised to yep. do that when married us. So. Yes. Um, okay. Another thing that I recommend is, well, it's taking care of yourself. So here's the thing. A lot of us took care of this person because, and they had lots of emotional needs and we were responsible for taking care of them. And as Christian women, we felt like that was our number one priority was to take care of the emotional needs of this other person. Plus, um, if you are a parent, you also had the emotional needs and the responsibility of parenting your children. And a lot of times you didn't get a lot of help from your partner. Maybe you got some practical help, but when you asked for it, but you didn't get a lot of initiative taking or a lot of help on the emotional burden of parenting. So maybe they were good at, you know, putting, helping the child get dressed in the morning or whatever, if you ask them to help you out, but maybe not so good at it, at getting down on that child's level and really emotionally connecting with that child and building a relationship with that child. And so that all of that emotional connection burden fell on you to do that. And the reason is because if this person's not able to connect with you emotionally and not able to empathize with you, that's because there's something broken inside of them. And of course they can't do that with anybody. Yeah. It's like a handicap. Right. It's a handicap. You don't see that in their relationships with other people on the outside because you don't have to have intimate relationships with everyone in your life, right? It's just your family members that you need to connect. So family members are the ones that see if there's a lack of that, it's going to be the family members that experience that. And And who suffer from it. Yes, exactly. So what you need to do is start disconnecting or detaching from that person because your whole life has been revolving around that person. And you need to start revolving your life the Christian answer would be revolve your life around Jesus. Well, that's kind of a duh. Okay. We, we can revolve our life around Jesus, regardless of what human beings life we're revolving around. But what we need to do is we need to start taking responsibility, not for that person, but for ourselves and for our own health. And this means that we need to start, this is called self-care. And I know that in Christian circles that that is like self-care. Oh my word. That's so selfish. No, it's not selfish. It's normal. All right. Yep. Do not take care of yourself is abnormal. It's 
abnormal, dysfunctional human behavior to not take care of yourself. It goes against the way God wired all creatures on the face of the earth, Mm -hmm. including animals, okay? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But certainly human beings. We are wired to take care of ourselves. That's, it's survival. And um, we are to take care of our spiritual health, our emotional health, and our physical health. And so, so some of the ways, so let's talk, Rachel, about some of the ways that you and I and others have found that we can actually take care of these things and get our focus off of, because I remember a time when that's all I could think of was managing this relationship. And when yeah. I started focusing on other interesting things, because you know what? There are 5 billion gazillion interesting things in this world to focus on. That human being that you're living with is just one of them. Yeah. The church that you're going to is just one of them. There's all kinds of other things you can focus on. So let's talk about what some of those things are because some of those things are actually really interesting and they might distract you from all of the dysfunction that's going on in that part of your life. So Rachel... Because I think one of the things actually I've been working on just the last couple of weeks is really forming my identity as a person. So not filtered through my role as a wife or a mother. Um, it's filtered through who, you know, what's inside of me at the core of my, of my personhood. So my priorities are like, you know, is, are, are aligned with my identity and, and maybe the person that I want to be and the person I'm becoming. So for example, I want to be someone who has a a deep and intimate relationship with the Lord. So what is that going to look like in my life? That's going to look like Bible reading. That's going to look like listening to sermons, et cetera. So that's part of um, self-care for me um, is, is putting a priority on those things. And my time is so stretched thin that um, it's easy to let that slip by the wayside, but that's part of who I am. So I can't, I can't let that Let's th- let that slip. And it, it actually is a discipline. Self-care is a discipline. Um, self-care, you know, you can think of it. It's easy when you think of it like, I, I need sleep. So I'm going to go to bed at 10 o'clock because I care, I care about these things in my life that need me to be um, active and, and present, um, you know, in my mind there, not, not drifting off into la-la land because I only got five hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is self-care. That's not, you know, it, may, it could look like, you know, taking a bath, a bubble bath or something like that. That's perfectly <laughs> legitimate, but it's, it's also formed around your values and your identity. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you mentioned bubble bath and I just have to say, when I moved into our new home, we had a bath that was big enough to actually hold me. And I thought, you know, you see movies where the girl is in the bubble bath with a glass of wine and like yeah. a candlelight and stuff. So I thought, I am going to do that. I'm going <laughs> to experience what that is like. And I did. I've actually done that twice in the last year that I've been here. Do you <laughs> enjoy have time it? to do it. But you know what? It was really fun. What? Yeah. yeah. But once I was in there, I was like, so now what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to bring a book or, or watch a show or right, something. Right. Okay. So some things that I did, um, one thing that I discovered in my, like when I was still living with my ex and just trying to actually, no, it, it was actually when I had separated from him, we were separated for a few years and, um, I was really grieving and just 
very in, in a lot, tons of distress. Anyway, I discovered Audible because I was dr- driving my kids all over the place and folding laundry. I was single parenting, and I found that I could distract myself with with fiction books. And I'd been this Christian woman who had, for the last twenty years, had only been reading uh, nonfiction. Okay. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, books about how to be a better wife, for example. Right. Oh yeah. Books about how to be a better Christian and how to, you know, and, and I'm an avid reader. So I, I read dozens of books, you know, I mean, every year I read tons of books, but I started thinking, you know, I used to before, prior to, um, getting into this really uber conservative religious circles that I was in, I was an English major and I loved literature, classics. I loved literature. I read avidly as a child as well. And I thought I'm going to do audible and listen to books. So I don't have a lot of time to read them, but I started listening to some great fiction and I found, I was learning so much from fiction and not Christian fiction. Okay. Uh, I was listening to really good, really good fiction stuff. And so um, I was learning about just the characters that were developed in these stories were teaching me about, I was recognizing, you know, now that I'm older, I've seen a little bit of life and I was seeing, I was watching how people reacted and it it, it just, it was very, very eye-opening just listening to these stories. Plus they were super interesting and it distracted me from my own life and I got to get involved in the lives of other people. So Audible, I highly recommend Audible. And then the other lifesaver for me was music. I had prior to um, being separated only listened to Christian music. I'd never listened to secular music, but I discovered that so many secular artists, female artists were singing songs that were, you know, really strong, powerful songs about some of the same things that I had been through and I could relate to them. And I started listening at first. I felt really guilty, like, Oh my word, you know, am I a good Christian? Am I a bad Christian? Because I'm listening to secular music. But when I listened to that music, the songs were, they were talking about really about truths about relationships. Mm -hmm. And I had started realizing that all truth in this world belongs to God, does not belong to the devil. It belongs to God. And that includes truth about relationships, about human nature. Mm -hmm. Um, The Bible is only one book. It's God's word, but it is, you cannot put the scope of all of the experience of all of history and all of everyone's life into one book, right? So there's, some wisdom and there, there is the wisdom of the universe is in that book, but also the wisdom of the universe is in nature. Mm-hmm. Go, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. We, you know, the Bible talks about the ant, but uh, guess what? We can learn about God, about principles in God's truth not just from the ant, there's other animals. If the Bible was to t- draw analogies between all of the animals in the universe, and that not just the ant, then the Bible alone would be books and books and books long with analogies all about it. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so back to the secular music, there are songs that these secular artists are writing. They have a lot of wisdom and insight. You know, maybe they're not a, a, a Christian tradition, but 
there are definitely things that we can learn. And so I would listen to these songs and I'd be like, yes, this song is articulating everything inside of me that I didn't know how to articulate, but it's saying it in such a powerful way. And so I, that was very validating. And I would sing at the top of my lungs in the car and, you know, those endorphins and I would work out on my elliptical and listen to that music in my headphones and the endorphins were, whoa, I was starting to like have good hormones flowing through my body instead of all this negative, critical, shaming, bad, you know, stuff that was constantly, I was constantly inundated with. And Mm -hmm. that was also very healing. Yeah. I think there's some validity a lot in the fact that, you know, people have been singing to God as a form of worship for, you know, for the span of the Bible, right? And it's, it's found all throughout the Bible. It's part of the Christian tradition. Why did God, you know, use that mechanism in order to connect, to have people connect with him? I think there's probably some truth to the fact that there's a physical component to that, you know, yes, some physical truth to that. So definitely I mean, really powerful. Okay. The other thing, and then we should probably wrap this up because we need, because uh, we're, because we're already over. But um, the other thing I was going to say is, let's see, I'm looking at my notes here. Um. Okay. So music and stories, a friend to talk to. And the other thing then is the validation of education. So, and, and you, if you're watching this, it's because you're already out there looking for help and you're educating yourself and you are doing what exactly what is going to be most helpful for you. So even in do, even in watching this, that's self-care. All right. So, um, just, there are so many great resources on YouTube. I, I had for the very first time, I don't know why I haven't discovered him before, but it's, is it Les Carter? What is his name on YouTube? Hold on. Oh, shoot. Um, is he that really nice man? <laughs> He's a really nice man. Yeah, I think his I think first name is Les. Hold yes, on. I'm going to look it up on my phone and see if I can. Oh yeah. Uh, here it is. Um, Oh, why can't I see his name? I see his face. He's kind of bald in the front. Oh, I can't see it. It's okay. Here, just look this one up on YouTube. I was just watching this one a day and it's so good. Imaginary confessions of a narcissist. It's less somebody less. Anyway, if someone here on the Facebook live knows his name, you can post it. He's fantastic. Um, Yeah. Oh, do you know who I'm talking about? I've watched that video and, and that was really, really good. Yes. Yeah. So I, there are so I many people out there. I don't even know who they all are, but I keep finding new ones all the time. I just, I love yeah. it. The so information you know, coming out. Yeah. And it's free. So yeah, there's awesome. like YouTube. All you have to do is Google your problem and 2,500 YouTube videos. There are people talking about it. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, there's like tons of books. Um, there's, I mean, there's my book. Is it me making sense of your confusing marriage? I don't really talk about my, I don't toot my horn too much, but. It's a really good book. Um, There are like tons of blogs and websites out there. And there are, yeah. So anyway, there's podcasts. This is a podcast. It's going to turn into a pod. I have a podcast called the Flying Free Podcast. If you look on iTunes. And so there's so many different resources out there. And I really think it's important not to just like, clamp down on one resource. Um, this is why I share other people's 
stuff all the time on Facebook because I think it's important that you are hearing from lots of different advocates because they all have a different angle and a different perspective. And I think it's, uh, you know, if you're just going to listen to one person all the time, you're going to, I'm sure those of you who have listened to me for a long time, like you, Rachel, you, you already know what's going to come out of my mouth before it comes out. Right. Cause you we always teach you something new. But, um, but you know, you don't, I don't, who knows what's going to come out of this new guy's mouth that I've never heard before. Cause I've never heard him before. So, um, so, you know, keep availing yourself of all the resources that are out there. And I think we're going to stop there. Do you have anything you want to add before we quit? So the only thing I wanted to add is, um, this takes courage to, to educate yourself and give yourself credit for that. That's something I've been really terrible about because one of the dynamics that I, I was never enough. I, I, you know, I just felt like I, whatever I did, it wasn't, it was never enough. And so give yourself credit for educating yourself and having the courage to, um, to, to dive into these things. Um, pat yourself on the back. I really important. Even if that's it's just right. a little thing. That that's an important thing though. Mm-hmm. I think I've, I've told my flying free members, you know, look in the mirror and say, I've got your back. Yeah. Just do that. You are courageous. You are doing everything you can and you're going to get through this. Yep. Okay. I am going to turn off the live Facebook now. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll, we'll do this again. If you, if, uh, if it worked, I think it worked. So if it worked, we'll do it again sometime.